You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Okay. Uh, my family was in here earlier and they saw the title of this and they said it either was super interesting or super boring because cosmological sounds awesome, government sounds boring. <laughs> Put them together is probably just bland. But we'll see. Uh, for some of you, and Zane, if that computer just freaked out, don't worry about it. We're done with it. Or did you have another question? No. Whenever I hit the screen, it's just like, what am I doing? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, Okay, so let's go ahead and talk about this a little bit. I have been waiting, waiting for years to preach this message. And after some of you hear it, you're like, Chandler, you preach this message every week. Shut up. We're tired of hearing about it. I get it. But I haven't preached it specifically on this particular passage. Romans 13 is one of the, at least in more recent times, Abuse passages in the Bible, because it's a cherry-pick verse. It's one of those verses where you're like, if I just wanted to, to just throw some words out there to get my way, this is the one I would choose when it comes to politics or anything of any kind of authority-type matter. So Romans 13, 1-7, people quote it all the time. You don't like what my politician is doing. You don't like what my governing authorities are doing. Well, let me tell you, Romans 13 tells you blah, blah, blah. So let's read it first. And then we're going to get into some of the understanding that the Bible paints because this verse taken out of context is not a fair treatment of this verse. This verse put in the context of the entire Bible makes it make a lot more sense. So here we go. Here we go. Romans 13, 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore... Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, tending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Okay, let's say a politician does something stupid, you like it, someone else doesn't. This is the easy passage to go to, right? Well, my politician is God's governing authority, how dare you backtalk them, how dare you call them out on anything. Don't you know God has specifically chose them and the things that they're doing are preordained and anointed to be exactly as God would have it do. Uh, God would have things be, things like that. So when I look back at 2019, That was the time this passage came up all the time. (laughs) Trump might do something that was very ridiculous and Christians should have called it out and yet people would use Romans 13. Oh, well, what he did, he's God's chosen one. 
No, Jesus is God's chosen one. Okay, let's, let's get this straight. Let's not get a Messiah complex here. Uh, governing authorities in Michigan, COVID gets out. Now they're putting out a bunch of uh, ways in which we need to mask up and all these things. And people, uh, the same people who are okay with applying one verse to Trump, now suddenly are on the opposite side when it comes to the governor. Well, no, they're not God's. Well, hang on. You can't just cherry pick and put this wherever you want. <laughs> if you're going to endorse it full percent one way, then endorse it full percent in all ways. Uh, but now people are using the passage, if you're for masking up, well, obey the authority. So it's getting applied in all different kinds of ways. People are using it however they want, and uh, it gets out of whack. So let's use some logic here first to help us get our minds straight. Pharaoh. Pharaoh is a governing authority in Egypt. And at one point, he got to the point of looking at all of Israel and saying, kill all their babies. And then he did. Would you apply this verse to Pharaoh? If you were an Israelite at that time and Pharaoh's knocking on your door and the authorities want to kill your baby, would you? Well, God has put him in place and he is preordained for this moment in grit. So here you go, Pharaoh, kill my baby. No, obviously we would not do that. Apply that to Jesus with King Herod. Herod's looking for Jesus to kill him. And if Herod found Jesus, would Mary and Joseph be like, well, he is the Messiah of the world, but sorry, Jesus, the authorities are the ones that are in charge by, by God's standard. He has set Herod up and he could do no wrong. Here you go, Herod, kill the Messiah. No, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. We can apply this in as many ways as we want. Well, Hitler's in charge, and he's told us to take all the Jews, report them so that they can put them in concentration camps, do experimental tests on them, horrors, terrors, and that's what we're going to do because Hitler's in charge. I am sure the church used this verse at that time to endorse that because the church was complicit in what Herod did. Herod, Hitler did. It's just another version of Herod. The church was complicit with racism in America as that was going on. And I'm sure the church used this verse to endorse laws that were in a positive light of racism. In recent times, we've seen white policemen shooting black people unarmed, kneeling on their throats until they can't breathe. Do we just say, oh, well, there are authorities God has put in place, and so it's totally cool. Absolutely not. These are not the ways in which this verse is meant to be applied. Paul would slap us in the face. And let's talk about Paul for a minute. The same Paul who wrote this, respect the authorities, was put in jail for like a few years. You think Paul in jail was like, this is exactly what I wanted. <laughs> and this is exactly what I deserved for being a Christian and for telling the world about Jesus. No, because that's not what Paul was getting at. But what was Paul getting at then? If, he, if he's saying all these things, what is he getting at? Well, the first thing we need to realize is that God is a God of justice. He cares very, very much about justice. And the prophets all throughout the Old Testament are constantly calling out governmental authorities, whether they're their own government, like King David, or if it's someone else's. They're just constantly, just read the prophets like, hey, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you done messed up. 
Hey, over there, in this city, over there, in this place, here's what God has to say to you. Whoa, yeah, they're even like crossing boundaries to make it clear. The prophet's entire job was to speak messages of justice to governing authorities. No wonder people hated them. No wonder Jesus said that the prophets were killed all the time. Because they had messages from God. They spoke to the authorities. And, well, that doesn't always end well for you. Daniel. Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. Sometimes it goes great. Oh, Daniel, I really see that you are truly a prophet of God. Feed him to the lions. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm sorry, Daniel. It's clear that the angels saved you there. Throw him in the furnace. I guess that would have been the other guys. But still, you see, like, he's constantly, like, challenging these same people. So God is, is working through Daniel and these others to keep working on, on these government authorities because it is prophetic to rebuke a government when they are practicing injustice. And that's important. So to, uh, on one side of things, we need to understand that governments are in place to do justice. Did you realize what Paul was saying all throughout this passage? The government holds a, a sword for a reason. The government holds justice for a reason. And I don't think he's talking about violence here. He's just talking about like justice decisions, jail, uh, other kinds of things like that. But Paul's saying like the reason that, that governments hold justice is because God is a God of justice. And if you do something wrong, Paul says, you should expect to get in trouble because God wants good things to happen. He wants the poor to be taken care of. He wants one another to be loved. He wants to make sure that we're doing everything we can for one another. That's important to God. And if we're doing those things, Paul says we have no reason to be afraid of the government because their job is to make sure that good things are happening. They put in laws into place to make sure that we don't cross those lines to hurt each other. And then Paul says, but if we do bad, then we should expect that the government will come for us because that's what they're in place to do. But here's a question. Does the government always get things right? No, I just gave a bunch of examples. Pharaoh, Herod, right? Hitler, uh, even American politics. The government is not perfect. They get things wrong all the time. And in those moments, if, if we're persecuted for doing good, we should expect that we're not off kilter, but government is off kilter. Paul gets persecuted for telling people about Jesus. Did he do something wrong? No. He was put in jail for it. He was not off-kilter. The government was off-kilter. But he suffered well. He dealt with the persecution, and he moved along. So it helps us to understand, like, what does government look like from God's perspective? And this is where we get into some territory that we've been through many times. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read all the passages that talk about the view I'm sharing with you because I've said it too many times. If you want to learn more about this, you can call me, text me whatever, email me, or just write down these passages when I mention them so you can look them up when you get home. But let's take a look at what the government looks like from a cosmological perspective. That is, the spiritual realm, the physical realm, the entirety of existence. What does government look like from God's perspective? Number one thing that we need to recognize is that Yahweh is at the top. God. The God of gods, King of kings, Lord of lords, no one is above him. He is the creator of everything. There is nothing that exists 
that he did not create, either in the spiritual realm or the physical realm. So that is government at its finest. God is a God of justice. He's at the top. And one day, he is coming back. And on that day, everything will be judged. Because he wants everything to be put right. Yahweh's at the top. Got it? Now, here's something that we have to realize. And this is the part that's complicated for a lot of people at first. Um, we're made in God's image. What that means is we image God to the world. We are representatives of who God is. So when someone sees us and we act like God, they should look at us and be like, ah, that is what God looks like. God would love me like that. God would be gentle like that. God would be faithful like that. God would be uh, caring like that, patient like that. When I look at this human being and I see them do those kinds of things, I realize that they are a representation of what God looks like in the world. We are not the only imagers of God. We are not the only beings made in God's image. We are on the earth, but in the spiritual realm, there are beings made in God's image as well. And this is the angels, the sons of God, the cherubim, the seraphim. You can call them whatever you want. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different names because they carry out different tasks. But they are made in God's image. And you see this right at the beginning of the Bible. When God goes to all of the uh, council of the heavens, all the heavenly hosts, and he says, let's go make man in our image. And I know that throws people off. They're like, wait, the angels made us? No, no, no. Uh, the wording is, I use this all the time, the wording is like uh, me saying, this is how Michael Heiser always visits. the wording is like me saying, let's go get pizza, and then I go get the pizza, I buy it, I bring it back, everyone eats it, right? So the idea is, it's God's idea, it's his initiative, and then he's the one who does it, which is exactly what the Bible shows. He goes to the heavenly host, the heavenly council, and says, let's go make man in our image. Just as I made you in my image, now let's go make physical representations on the earth in our image. And then only God goes and makes all the world. Now at that point, it's just God and humanity. But over time, humanity is so rebellious that they kind of get a consequence of the Tower of Babel. God separates them into nations, 70 of them. And then he, he turns them over to lesser spiritual beings, to some of the heavenly hosts. Who are not God. That's kind of the consequence. If you're not going to follow God and do what he says, then you can have beings that are lesser than me and follow what they say. And so God, Deuteronomy 32, 8 tells us that God uh, turned all of the nations over to the sons of God. Sons of God is a term that refers to spiritual beings. So now you have spiritual beings reigning over entire nations on God's behalf. In the Bible, these are known as false gods. Here's what I found. Every week. Why? In the Bible, in the Bible, these are known as the false gods. False gods are not false in the sense that they are not real. They are false in the sense that they are not to be worshipped. So at the top tier, you have Yahweh. And now you have this new tier after the Tower of Babel where he puts some of his, his spiritual beings in charge of everybody else. You take that nation, you take that nation, you take that one, and then God puts them in charge. Now, below them, there are the physical imagers, the human kings. So these false gods represent God, and then the human kings now communicate with the false gods, if you will, to hear what they are supposed to do. Now, if this all worked out right, 
I think what God's plan was, <laughs> was that these spiritual beings were supposed to image God to these kings. And these kings were then supposed to image God to all the, the humans, all the images of God that fell under them. So really, the way it was set up is everything points back to Yahweh. Everyone's pointing back to Yahweh. But human beings made in God's image mess up all the time. Do you think angels made in God's image can mess up too? The Bible says yes, all over the place. Job says God doesn't trust his holy ones, which are spiritual beings. <laughs> Revelation says that, that Satan actually rose up like a third of the angels to follow him instead. And so that's exactly what we see happening. Psalm, 30, Psalm 82 tells us that God brought all of the little g-gods into his throne room and he said, you are corrupt, all of you. Not one of you is good anymore. And so you all, even though you're immortal spiritual beings who are supposed to live on forever, you will die just like a mere mortal will. And that is what the lake of fire is in Revelation. It's this end to everything that's wrong with the world. He looks at the spiritual beings and he says, you were supposed to make sure your people took care of the poor, but you didn't. You were supposed to image me to them, but you didn't. And as a consequence, you will die. And Jesus comes along and he says, God separates the sheep from the goats and the goats are cast into an eternal fire that was made for Satan and his angels. So now everything is getting messed up. This is what government looks like from a cosmological, spiritual perspective. Now, in Deuteronomy 32.8, God did something else. He said, all of these beings, you can uh, lead all these nations, lead them towards me, but I'm just going to take Abraham. He's my inheritance. I'm giving you several hundred people, you a few thousand people. I get this one guy. I'm going to deal with that. And so God takes Abraham. And he leads Abraham. But Israel, as it ends up, are just as flawed as all the other nations. They're just as flawed as all the human beings out there. I, instead of following God, they end up following all the false gods. So their line actually moves to look at the other guys. They start following the false gods all the time. In fact, at one point, uh, when Israel ends up getting a king, what they end up doing is saying, uh, we, we don't want to follow just God anymore. We want a human king like all of the other ones. And so now, God has to raise up a human king. And they get their consequence. Human kings are bad. <laughs> Not all the time, but a lot of the time, things don't go well. I mean, God specifically chose Saul to be the human king over Israel. And at one point, the Bible says God regretted choosing Saul because Saul was that bad. Once he got power, once he got authority, once he got all these things, Saul just went crazy. And so, God's whole system, Israel's just supposed to follow him. Now Israel's following a king who's following him. And now the king's not always following him. So now all the images that, that all these human beings that are within Israel are now all following all these other things. And now they're all pointing towards the false gods over and over again. It's just a mess. And then we start to realize that all of the uh, false gods have joined up with Satan. I mean, if you look at Daniel 10, we get to this point where, where God is trying to do something in the spiritual realm to answer a prayer that Daniel's prayed, and God shows up late. 
He said, I came as soon as you prayed, but it took me three weeks to get here. Sorry about that. And the reason that it took three weeks is because I ran into the false god reigning over Persia, and he was against me, and then Michael had to show up to battle it with him so that I could get out of there and finally come to you to answer the prayer. Now, Daniel, when I leave, as it ends up, uh, the prince of Persia, the false god over Persia, is then going to show up. So just a heads up, there's a lot of spiritual warfare going on that you're not aware of right now. And you realize in that moment that there's more than just Satan and God duking it out. You realize that human beings have messed up and that they've gone against God. You realize that human imagers and now spiritual imagers are all against God, except for a few of the faithful, people like Michael, people like Gabriel, and, and some other angels. That, and who knows how many angels have actually turned against God in the last 2,000 years since Jesus was resurrected. We just don't know. We don't know the timeline until we get there. And so it just becomes this huge mess. But when you look at the spiritual realm as to how government works, you recognize that things are probably not going to go great all the time. That governments are not always going to do what they're supposed to do. Because some of them are adhering to the wrong gods. In fact, Revelation just goes the whole distance. Revelation basically just says, like, Satan's a beast. And he set up a bunch of marionettes with all of the spiritual beings that are out there and all of the kings that are out there. And he's just got all these ties to everything. And so Christians, don't be surprised if you get persecuted because everything is probably going to be against you. That's not the way that we always think of things because in America that's not the case. But... In John's time, it very much was so. People were dying left and right. They were being martyred all over the place. And John's like, we should expect that because Satan has taken control of all these different things. Now, God is still in control. God still has authority. All of the principalities and powers still have to respond to God. And yeah, God does sometimes put them into place or he puts them in place in the sense that he's made the government and, and has created these scenarios for them. But it's not as cut and dry as just like, if my politician said to do something, that was the voice of God. Look at that. It's not like that at all. In fact, what it is for Christianity, we come to find out, is God then puts Jesus as our king and we fall under Jesus. And if we're following Jesus then we're disconnected from the false gods and from the false kings. We instead become citizens of heaven, citizens of another place, ambassadors of heaven, showing the world their way into heaven. We find ourselves in a whole different strand that doesn't connect to the rest of the stuff. And for that reason, we should expect persecution. That's not the way we often talk about things. When we are mildly persecuting, uh, persecuted, we rebel like crazy. But we should expect it. We stand out like a sore thumb on that. Keeping all of this in mind, we recognize that governments are not bad because they are meant to keep order. And God is a God of order. Actually, Paul says that all over the place. God is a God of order. If you're going to have church, be decent and in order because God is a God of order. Genesis is a story about order. It's not talking about evolution versus literal creation. It has no concern with that. It doesn't even know what evolution is. What its concern is, 
hey, all the false gods have their own literature out there that tell you how they established order. Let us tell you how Yahweh established order. And within Yahweh's order, you've got male and female, and they rule from the top. This is God's order. And in all the other literature out there, only the king is made in the image of God. No one else is. But in God's order, all humans have the dignity of being made in the image of God. Whether you're slave or free. Whether you're white or black. Whether you're male or female. They are all kings and queens. And so God, yeah, he's not a God of anarchy. Of course he wants government. Because God is a God of order. But that is not to say that every time the government does or says something, that it is what God called us to do or say ourselves. And so as Christians, our job sometimes is to be that sore thumb. It is not okay for black people to be dying in the streets. It is not okay for there to be all this gun violence. It is not okay for us to uh, throw homeless people under bridges and not take care of them. It is not okay for us to treat addicts as castaways as though they have no value. No, they're in the image of God. And so we disconnect from all of that and we subject ourselves to Jesus. And when we do that, we start recognizing when we are in line with what God is doing and when we are out of line. When we're out of line, we respectfully and humbly and carefully, as Paul said all throughout Romans 13, plead our cases of prophetic messages. It's part of what the church is to do. It's to turn things away. And I don't care who ends up being president at any time, none of them are Jesus. And so they're going to mess up. Those are times to call that out. And they're sometimes going to get it right. This is the other thing we've got to recognize. Human imagers, we're all made in God's image. And we all have the capacity, therefore, to represent God as he is. So there will be times where people do get things right. I'm not trying to say that it's all just chaos and it's all just Satan. <laughs> John in Revelation might go that far, but I think he's trying to go to an extreme to make a point. What I am saying is we should expect a lot of bad, but also expect that there will be good, just like Paul did, because sometimes governing authorities will get things right. Maybe even a lot of times. That doesn't mean every time. So that takes us into our cosmological government uh, message right there. Uh, let me pause. Anybody have any questions before we wrap up? I know there's a lot going on there. Yeah, Kathy. We're over, so try to be quick. Well, if it is a good question for everybody else, they might have it too, or... wrong here, but I think when Cain and Abel are born, there's like a direct connection to more images were born. The whole thing with humanity is Eden is a temple. What do you find in temples? Images, right? There's always images of the gods in temples. So God, when he made his image, not to be worshipped, but what does God look like? 
Well, humanity has the capacity to image God and show the world what he looks like. So that's what, that's what humans are. They're the images of God's temple to represent him. Again, we are not to be worshipped. We represent what he looks like. So sometimes we do live it out. But you are right. Uh, Paul's actually going to say that Jesus is the true image of God. So if we're ever wondering what does the image of God look like lived out completely as it should be, the answer is not a king. The answer is not a spiritual being. The answer is Jesus himself. And if we want to know how we should be living to look like the true image of God, then we look to Jesus. All right, let me pray for you, let you go. Uh, God, we thank you for some time to chat and to um, learn and to worship and just give our hearts over to you. God, kind of like Kathy was saying, we all uh, have kind of these stains on our image. We have not all uh, quite nailed it down. Sin has corrupted us, just like it's corrupted spiritual beings. Sometimes we give our lives over those spiritual beings instead of to you. So we ask that you would uncorrupt us, that you would bring us into the fullness of what we are to look like. God, I think of that word we used last week, Paul used the Greek word meta, uh, metamorphoso to talk about what we are becoming as Christians. And the idea is like a cocoon. Like right now, we are putting on the resurrected body that is full of all the fruit of God that looks like the image of Christ. And one day, we will emerge from that cocoon in full in the resurrection and truly look like we are supposed to look like as we look in a mirror and see Jesus himself. But right now, we're still figuring that out. So wherever our weaknesses is, are in all of our areas, would you help us chisel at ourselves until we truly look like you? Jesus' name. Amen. All right, love you guys. Go in peace. We will see you soon. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think that's it. Okay. Yeah.